the Gemara tells us on eight one eight. Hanina Chadizim, and we already learned this halacha in the Mishnah previously. Halacha that the Mishnah teaches us that you can be ma'arit or mishtatif, that you can combine domains for an, the purposes of a courtyard being permitted to carry in, and for the purposes of an alley being permitted to carry in, that you can use any type of food item. We already learned this previously. You can use everything except for water and salt. So why does the Mishnah need to repeat it over here? This is coming to exclude the position of Rabbi Shua. Rabbi Shua says that you can only use bread, but you cannot use other items for a Eruv Chatseris, for the courtyard permission to allow to carry in the courtyard. So therefore, our mission teaches that both a Shituf and a, the Shituf in the Mavoy, in the alleyway, and the Eruv in the Chatseris can both work with anything other than water and salt, not just bread, as Yeshua wanted to with anything you can make an Eruv Chatseris, you can mix together the domains to permit the carry in a courtyard. At all types of food, you can make a sheet of a, the ability to carry a partnership in a alleyway, to carry in the alleyway. They only said that you need to make an Eruv with bread, only by a courtyard, nothing else. Who is it that says that bread works and nothing else? Bishua. Position of Yeshua, and still it says that you can use everything else. So, how do you bring out from our Mishnah anything more than that previous ruling in which it was unclear that we don't pass like Yeshua? Rather, when our Mishnah is coming to exclude the position of Yeshua, how is it doing so? The Amar Shlema in Yeshua says only a Shlema works, only a whole loaf of bread works, and pieces do not work. So they're going to teach you that the everything works, and even indeed a um, and even with a uh, a slice of bread also works. You don't need just a loaf of bread. Uprusa might time a and why indeed does a slice of bread not work according to Yeshua? Amrevi Yisuf and Chal Amrevi. Yisuf and Chal says name Amrevi Mishneva. The concern is that it will cause people to have some level of friction. They will be angry if one person is giving a slice of bread, the other one's giving a whole loaf of bread. It will create a sense of unfairness, of inequality. Amrevi Ravacha Barid the Rav the Rav of the Rav Ashi. Let's say all of them indeed contributed to this era with slices of bread. So now there's no sense of inequities because everyone's giving the same thing. Indeed, in that circumstance, it might have been okay. However, if we allow people to start giving slices of bread, in the future, someone might give a slice of bread while another person gives a whole loaf of bread, and it will create the same feelings of Ava, of, of, um, of uh, friction between individuals. Let's say, this chala, it's a whole loaf of bread. However, part of it is broken off. Now, how much of it is broken off? The, it is the amount that one would take off of the chala dough for the purposes of the chala that they give to the kayin, and the Gemara is going to discuss what percentage that is. Or it's the amount of bread that would have to be broken off if the um, if it got mixed truma into that loaf of bread, and the truma was nullified in a proportion of 100 to 1. You still have to take out one one hundredth of that loaf of bread and give that to the kayin. So, if one of those two measurements are broken off from the loaf of bread, it's still considered whole. Then you can actually still make an error with that broken loaf because it's so close to the whole, it is still okay. If you take out the amount, if you take out the amount that has to be removed when you mix together truma, that's supposed to go to the kayin and chulin that is allowed to be eaten by anyone, that amount, that one one hundredth, right? Then you can make an error with it. But if the amount that is removed is the amount that would normally be removed um, for, for the purposes of taking challah for the kayin, then indeed it cannot be used for an Eruv. So there it says it cannot be used for the Eruv if it's the amount that is missing that would be taken off challah. 
And over here, it says that it was the amount that's missing that would be taken out from the mixture. It is okay. It's not a question. When it says that you are allowed to remove a certain amount and still um, and still use it, that's referring to the amount of challah that a a um, a baker has to remove. So a, a baker, he has to remove 148th of the challah. A homeowner who's baking challah has to remove 124th and give to the cayenne. So when it says that the removal of the amount that would be necessary for the challah, you can still take it and use it as your area of challah, still considered whole. That's referring to when it's only 148th has been removed. But when 124th has been removed, then it cannot be used. The Tanat, the Gemara now brings this, these halachas in Masechta's um, challah. It's not, we learned in a Mishnah there. Shir chala, the measurement of chala, the percentage of the chala, the, the percentage of your dough that you have to give to the Kayin, what is it? Echem Esamar, but 124. If someone's making dough for himself, or bread for his son's party. Echem Esamar, but 124. A baker who is making bread for the sake of selling it in the marketplace. So to a woman who's baking bread for the sake of selling it in the marketplace, then it only has to be 148. So 148 is missing, you can still use it for the air. 124 is missing, you cannot. Let's say you put together these two different pieces of bread, you put it together with a, a splinter or a toothpick, then indeed, and it can be put together and it, it looks like it's still a whole loaf of bread, then indeed it still works. But a tiny one can write, you're not allowed to use that for an air. And then when it's broken and stuck together with splinters, like Asha, this is not a question. One case is where it is clear that there was a opening that is now being um, shut, being closed up with this toothpick. In one case, it's not clear. So if it's clear, then you can't use it. If it's not clear, you can use it. You can make an air with rice bread, or you can make an air with bread that is made out of millet. Marshmul explained this to me. If you have bread which is made out of rice dough, rice flour, then you can make an Erev. If you bread that's made out of miller flour, you cannot. You can make an Erev with flour that is made out of lentils. There was a time during the years of Marshmallow that bread was made out of rice flour. And he threw it to his dog, and the dog didn't even eat it. The dog doesn't eat it. Clearly, this is not something that's actually eaten by anybody. The case over there was it was a mixture of many different types of flowers, and that's why the dog didn't eat it. As we learned in the Pasuk. So this is the story of the Ezekiel bread. So there was a time when Hashem was told Yechezkel a certain nebuah, a certain um, prophecy, and the prophecy said, take for yourself wheat, barley, beans, lentils, mill, and spelt, and take them and crush them up together and grind them, and then make a dough, out, make a flour out of that and eat bread made out of that flour. The case over there was actually that Hashem had told them that not only do you do you have to make this um, flour, this bread out of these types of flours, also you should bake the, the fuel that you use to cook it, that to bake it will be a fuel that's made out of excrement of people. The reason why the dog didn't eat it, that's why. But regular regular bread made out of those materials, right, but not using the same fuel will still be very good, and the dog would eat it, and even a human would eat it. As we see today, Ezekiel bread is quite popular. This live as it says, We see that Hashem wanted them to use the, the glalim of um, the excrement of humans for the purposes of um, for the purposes of baking it. What is that which it says in the Pasuk that a 
cakes or cookies of barley, you shall eat it. It's actually going to teach you a shiurim, a specific measurement that when the Nebuah said that Hashem should eat, Hashem was telling Yechazkel to eat this in a very specific measurement. That you should prepare it the same way people prepare um, barley bread. But not like people prepare wheat bread. Wheat bread is, is a far more finished product, the flour that they use for wheat bread. But barley bread is not as finished and not, does not taste as good. If someone wants, he has a, um, a store owner or a baker living in his courtyard, right? Or his, and, and he wants them to, he wants to buy in some of their foodstuffs and then use that for his, um, for his contribution to the area. So he goes to them and he says, can I give you a, a coin? And then through that coin, I'm going to buy part of your food. And then that will be my contribution to the area. So that you can acquire a share in the area. With your money, does not do the trick. I agree, however, that in all other men, this will do the trick. Mar is going to discuss what's going on. Because you cannot prepare an error for someone unless they have consent to this action. This is what are we talking about here? Referring to over here as Eruvit Chumen, where you're trying to expand your Shabbos boundaries by putting a food item down outside of your normal boundaries and thereby expanding the area where you can carry However, if it's coming to making an area of chatseris, right, the, the joining together to allow people to carry in a courtyard, then it works with their will or without their will. Because you can merit other people with in front of them, right, or not in front of them, without their consent or with their consent, but you cannot cause people to have a detrimental outcome unless they have expressed their interest in this matter. Eruvi chatseris is only a positive outcome in general, at least. Eruvi chatseris, the ability to carry in the courtyard or carry from the house from the courtyard, house to the courtyard, that's a positive outcome. But when you talk about expanding someone's boundary on Shabbos and saying that now he can go to the West 2000 Amas, well, maybe indeed he has no interest in traveling to the West 2000 Amas, and his intent was actually to travel to the East 2000 Amas. So this could be a detrimental act, and therefore you can only do it with his consent. What's the reason for Rebbe Yezer? who says that when a person gives a coin to the store owner or to the baker in his alleyway or courtyard, that he acquires already a shear in the Eruv. Problem is, Halei Mashach, he did not yet take possession of the item through Mashicha. The halacha is, the Gemara is about to say, that Amar, Rav Nachman, Amar, Rabba Bar Avo, Aso Rebbe Lezer, Kedal Pak Mashana. That, oh, sorry, let's go back a second. The Gemara says like this, also, that when it comes to acquiring an item, from another Jew, giving money is not what acquires the item. What acquires the portable object, movable item, is only when you actually take possession of it through either Mashiach, through dragging it to you, or, or through Hagba'ah. We're going to discuss why that is so. Now, if that is so, so then how did you acquire the, the food item by giving money? You should actually have to do a Kenyan. You should have to do some sort of acquisition, an act of acquisition, which is either the Mashiach, they're dragging it to you, or the Hagba'ah, or lifting it up. So what does it say? So the reason why Rebbe says it works is because he considers it like the circumstances of four different times during the year. What are the four times during the year? There are four seasons of the year when we have a, a similar halacha that just giving the coin is going to be considered a full acquisition. And you don't need to actually take possession with the Mashiach, with the dragon into you or with the Haifa. What is this talking about? We force the butcher to shach an animal against his will. What's the case? So the butcher has this very nice uh, Kobe beef, and he does not want to slaughter it until he has people lined up to, to buy the item off of him. Now, one person comes to the store and he has one dinner worth of money. He says, I want to buy one dinner worth of meat. We force the butcher to sell. 
Why? Because these four times during the year, they are the Erev Yamtif of the first day of Pesach, Erev Yamtif of Shavuos, Erev Yamtif of Rosh Hashanah, and Erev Yamtif of um, and Erev Yamtif of um, of of the, the second days of Sukkot. Those are the four times a year when we force butcher to to shach because we want people to have meat for those yamtiv. Now, fikaf and mace. So therefore, if after the individual has given money to buy a portion of this cow, the cow died, he's already considered to have taken possession of the part of the cow that he paid for. Now, normally you would say he actually has to take possession of it in a, one of those physical transactions of either lifting it up or dragging it to him. But those four times a year, Chazal said we wanted to take acquisition with just the money. So too over here, we have the same idea. We wanted to take acquisition of the food items from the other individual selling items in his courtyard was just paying for it. We, we say he does not have to actually take possession of it physically, just paying for it is already sufficient. And therefore, it may, may still like, if it dies, it dies to the, to the buyer. Over there, it says, how could it be? He didn't take possession of it with the Meshicha. Who says, when you actually did take possession of it, that's the case. Gemara then says, if so, look at the end of that Mishnah and Chulin. What does it teach us? Any other day of the year, this is not so. You cannot force the butcher to sell, to, to slaughter an animal when he does not have people lined up to buy. Therefore, in Therefore, if it dies, then the Meicher is going to take the loss because even though he already the, the buyer already paid for it, since he did not yet take possession of it with the physical transaction, he is not yet considered to have any ownership. Mara says, if it's a case where where he did do Mashiach, because that's what we're trying to explain now that indeed he did do Mashiach, well then in the second the, the end of the Mishnah also he should have taken possession of it, and the loss should be to the to the buyer when the animal dies before Shechita because he actually paid for it already. And even if and, and if he and he actually did Mashiach too, he actually already took possession of it by dragging it to him. You have to have a case, of course, where the Mashiach was never done. There was a third party involved. And that third party is taking possession of it on behalf of the other individual. Okay, so on these four seasons during the year, it is a benefit for the buyer because you really need to have meat. And since it's a clear benefit, the third person can acquire it on his behalf even when he's not here. The rest of the year, it is a disadvantage for him to take possession of this cow when he does not, when he's not necessarily going to end up getting it. So then he's not going to, you can't, you can't actually acquire it for him unless it's in front of him. On these four time periods, what happens is that Chachamim say we go back to the regular din of the Torah, regular halach of the Torah. What's this talking about? On a Torah level, when you give a Jew who's trying to buy another a movable object from another Jew and he pays cash for it, he really takes possession on a Torah level. Why did Chazal say that only Mashiach works, right? And and Kesef does not do the trick, and you have to wait until you actually take possession of it through these physical transaction of taking it into your domain. The reason is because we're concerned that perhaps the buy the seller will say to the buyer, it burnt up in your wheat burned up in my attic. What does this refer to? If I pay money cash for a movable item, so it, it really belongs to me, but it's actually still in the physical possession of the seller. Now what happens if there's a fire in the seller's warehouse? He is not going to protect the items that I bought from him. So therefore Chazal said we want to ensure that he does take care of those items, even though it's still in his possession and yet it belongs to someone else already. How do we ensure that he does that? By saying that it still actually belongs to him in, in all in all halachas, it will still completely belong to him until after the Mashiach takes place. So the Mishnah says that they agree by all other people, that it does not work. What are we talking about here? What do we mean by when we say all other people? 
bala bias, referring to a bala bias, right? So if you have another bala bias living in the courtyard and you give him a uh, a ma, right? So then it actually does work. You give him a coin, it actually does work to create a, a um, to create a, an ownership rights in the food items, even according to the chacham. Why? said bala bias. When do we say that it doesn't do the trick when you're talking about buying from a from a baker? Then giving him a, a ma is not going to do the trick. But when it comes to buying from a balabayas, then it actually will do the trick. Why? The reason is because it's not actually buying it over there. The dollar that you're giving him, the coin that you're giving him is a clear indication you want him to act as your representative. Since you want him to act as your representative, then it's okay. You don't actually have to buy the food items. Somebody else can acquire it for you without you buying it. But if when you're giving the money, your intent was to buy a food item, so then it's only it's not going to work because it doesn't buy because on a Torah level, you need to actually give, uh, not on a Torah level, on a rabbinic level, you need to take the shicha, take a uh, drag it to you to take possession of it. And just paying for it is not sufficient. Bamar Shmuel, and Shmuel said, that's only true by a ma. But if you would do chalipin, if you do the, the barter type of transaction, then indeed it would do the trick. Bamar Shmuel, and Shmuel says, they only say that the that he cannot acquire a share when the resident said to him, Zuchheli, acquire for me, right? But if he said, make an error for me, even by a, a, a shopkeeper or a baker, if he said, make an error for me, he never said, I want to buy something from you. He's giving him a coin for the purposes of appointing him as a representative. Then indeed it will work according to him. says, where were these words said? Anytime it says Rabbi Huda's opinion by an Arab in question, the halach follows. So we said that Shmuel, Shmuel say that the halacha follows Rabbi Huda, even where a an alleyway, right? In other words, when Shmuel made the statement that anytime we quote Rabbi Huda, we pass him like him. Does he say that we pass like him even in a case of an alleyway where the lachi, right, the the um, the side post or the kaira or the beam on top was removed on Shabbos? Rabbi Huda says it's still mutter to carry the rest of Shabbos, right? Does Shmuel when Shmuel says that we pass like Rabbi Huda by by Erevin questions, is that even over there that we pass like him? Amarle, he says to him the Erevin amarti I said when it comes to the laws of Erevin, but now when it comes to the laws of mechitzes of laws. Amarle of Achavri the Rabbah Liravashi. It sounds like the halacha follows him. It implies that someone disagrees with Rabbi Huda. It's a little bit difficult to say that somebody argues because the Rabbi Huda used any. The, we have a statement from Yeshua and Levi. Anytime Rabbi Huda in our Mishnah says a masai or says ubame and with what a masai means when and a means with what the Mishnah say in our Mishnah he's only coming to explain the words of Chazal and if so in our Mishnah he said. This only applies in a specific case. He clearly agrees with, with Rabbi Huda. So if he agrees with Rabbi Huda, why does Shmuel need to say Why he agrees with the Chachamim? Why does Shmuel need to say Halacha follows Rabbi Huda? Of course, Halacha follows Rabbi Huda. Nobody argues. What do you mean? But we say over here that um, earlier we said that in a case of of uh, where the number of people living in the courtyard have increased, right? Then you have to add more food and, and be mazaket and, and cause them to acquire that food through a third party. And you need to notify them. Now, according to Yehuda, you can actually do an Eir Chatzir without ever notifying them. The reason why over there they said you have to notify them is because it's a, a courtyard in between two alleyways. Even Rabbi Huda would agree over there that you need to notify the owner. It is not always a clear cut benefit. Sometimes it could be disadvantages. Rabbi Huda says, 
We said earlier that the the colleagues of Rabbi Huda argue on him. Ella, so rather, Gavra, Gavra, Karamas, when you're asking a question between two different people, this is Shmuel's position against Rabbi Shubhan Levi. Rabbi Shubhan Levi was the one who made the statement that anytime Rabbi Huda says, a Masai Ubameh, that he's not arguing. Maybe Shmuel disagrees with that. Marsava Pligi, Marsava Pligi. So Rabbi Shubhan Levi indeed says that once they say that, then they are, then if they say Bameh, then they're not arguing. But Shmuel never agreed to that principle. And even when he says Bameh, ooh, or if he says, um, he still might be arguing on the position that he is quoting. Kufa, Anytime Rabbi Huda says in the Mishnah, a Masai when, or Bameh, or what is this referring to Mishnah Sainu and Mishnayas, in Elifarish the Chachamim, he's only coming to explain the position of the Chachamim. Rabbi Yechon says, a Masai Lafarish, Rabbi Yechon says that if he says a Masai when, then he's coming to explain the position of Chachamim, he's not arguing. When he says, Ubameh, with what, then he's actually coming to disagree. A Masai Lafarish, and is it true that anytime he says when, does it really mean to say, I'm coming to explain an earlier position? We learned in Mishnah, these are the ones who are not able to act as a dayan, as a judge, or an aide, as a, a witness. People are gambling with dice. People lend money with interest. People who fly pigeons for racing. People who benefit or, or do um, do business with the, the produce of the Shemitah year, the sabbatical year. Those people are all ineligible as witnesses or, um, or, um, or judges. Yudha says, a Masai, when is this true? Because Elahi. Yudha says, that's only true when they have no other means of making a living other than this specific forbidden means of making a living. But if they have a different way of making a living, and this is not their primary source of income, I raise a question. Then indeed, they're still permitted to give testimony and still permitted to judge. The funny love of Bryce, so we learned on this in a Bryce. They say that whether they have another source of income or whether he has no other source of income, I raise a puzzle. Either way, they are forbidden. Right, that Rabbi Huda over there, it seems that he's arguing on the later opinion, right? So what do you do with the fact that we said Rabbi Huda, when any time he says Emasa, he's not arguing over there, it seems like he is arguing. So my answer is over there, it's Rabbi Huda in Tarfin's name, right? But in in terms of Rabbi Huda and the Chachamim, that Rabbi Huda and the Chachamim agree. It's just Rabbi Huda in the name of Tarfin that disagrees. Tanya will learn to advise. In a case like this, we have two individuals sitting and they see somebody coming towards them. And one of them says, I will be a Nazir if that guy is a Nazir. The other guy says, I will be a Nazir if he's not a Nazir. Clearly, it is not, it is not obvious to them from where they are sitting whether or not that individual is a Nazir. And the halacha is, then neither of them become a Nazir in that case. Why? When you take, uh, when you take on the status of changing into a Nazir, it has to be clear that what you're saying is, I want to be a Nazir. Over here, neither of them are certainly going to be a Nazir. One of them might be, the other one might not be. Well, the other one might be, the other one might not be. So it's not clear to either of them that they're going to become a Nazir, and therefore neither of them become a Nazir. Alama, even the Masafkali, you Nazir, you Nazir, since they are uncertain if they are a Nazir or not, who, Lemeshab and Nafshe. So therefore he is not uh, actually, it, 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 he's not really um, expecting to become a Nazir, and therefore it doesn't become a Nazir. Achanami Soto over here, the reason why this person is, is the reason why they're not allowed to become a an aide or a dayan, a judge or a, a witness, is because since the individual who is gambling does not know if he's going to acquire or not, if he will be the one to make the money or not, therefore he's not really does not really want to give up the item that he's gambling, right? Because he thinks he's really going to win. Since he thinks he's going to win and doesn't really want to give up the item, when the other individual makes a living, I'm sorry, even when he's not making a living, but if he ever takes this from someone else, he's a thief, right? Because he's taking something from someone else that he does not really want to give them up to him, and therefore, uh, on some level, he's a thief, and therefore, he's not able to be in this position of um, 
Avina, a, a aid, a witness, or a dying or a judge. Hajan Allah Chalain. We will return to you the parak of Chalain of Windows. How do you have a sheet of how do you have a partnership when it comes to Tchumen, when it comes to expanding your Shabbos boundaries through food items? You, you put the, the food item, the, you put the jar of food, and what do you say? This should be for all of the people living in my town. For everybody who's going to a base of to a um, to a house of mourning, or to a house of simcha. Have a simcha. What I'm over here is a simcha of a wedding. Paul should give a love me by then. And anybody who has accepted that this Arab should be a good Arab for them for Arab Tchumen, while it's still daytime, mutter, then they are permitted. They only accept it after Shabbos begins. Also, they are not permitted to, to rely on this Arab. You're not allowed to make an Arab once Shabbos has begun. We see from here that you can only make an error for the purposes of doing a mitzvah, otherwise it wouldn't work. Pretty obvious, that's what the Mishnah says. Mishnah's two examples of when you make an error is to go to a house of mourning, which is a mitzvah of menachem aval, right, of comforting the, the, the person who is mourning, or for the case of someone who's going to a wedding, whereas the mitzvah of kolam of, um, of anybody who causes the chasamakala to rejoice, as a tremendous mitzvah. So maybe that it's clear from there that the only two times you're allowed to make an air, not only two times, but that the only times you're allowed to make an air tumult or extend your boundaries is for the sake of a mitzvah purpose. What might I have to say? Or We're just talking about the typical example. But in truth, you can really make an air for other purposes as well. Mashmalan, that is not just a typical example. It is indeed the only time you can make an air. Anybody who accepts upon himself this air when the day is still, while well, it's still there, we, know we see from here, in Breira, we see from here that there's no ability to have retroactive decision uh, affecting the earlier decision. E.H. Breira, because if there was a sign, the concept of Breira, right, that your later decision affects your earlier decision, then then it should become obvious that retroactively, that really, he wanted to, he was happy with making this air while it was still daytime. He just didn't know, he hadn't really decided yet it, in an open way. But when he decides later that he wants us to be a good air, then clearly we assume that he really had that state of mind earlier. Amar Ravashi, so Ravashi says, a case where he was or was not informed. In other words, if if in the if he was informed before Shabbos, then the Arab could be valid in theory, uh, retroactively, even though he didn't actually accept it until Shabbos began. Because as long as he was aware of it, then we could say that the Arab can work the these acceptance later works retroactively. But if he didn't even know about it before Shabbos, then how can you say that's going to work retrospectively? If you have a kid who is uh, six years old, he's allowed to go out with the heir of his mother. In other words, his mother makes an heir of Tchumen in a different place. We assume that he goes after the mother's um, shear. A child who needs his mother, he goes out with the heir that she has created. If he does not need his mother anymore, then he's not go out with his mother's heir. Right? We said the similar idea in a Mishnah in Sukkot. This similar halacha. A child that no longer needs his mother, he's obligated in a sukkah. And now he's obligated in a sukkah on a rabbinic level. He's not yet 13. He's not obligated on a Torah level. He's obligated to start teaching him the laws of sukkah by having him experiencing that. And we explained over there, what's considered a child who is not, who is not no longer dependent on his mother. Someone who is able to go to the bathroom and wipe himself. Somebody who who uh, wakes up and does not cry out to his mother. Is that to say that if he cries out for his mother once, then he's not considered a, 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 an older child? But even larger children also call out to their mother. Rather, it means anybody who wakes up from their sleep, and they don't start crying out, mother, mother, mother. Right. So 
anybody could wake up and call out to their mother once from having a nightmare. But to wake up and start calling out multiple times, that's a different category. And that's only true when you are a, um, when you're not yet that old. How old is this? Sometimes four, sometimes five. Okay. When does Ravasi say that the that the um that the Arab uh, works for the for the for the mother's Arab works for the child? His father made an Arab to the north, his mother made an Arab to the south. Because even a child of six, to be honest, a child of six would really rather hang out with the um, with the mother, right, and not the father. Um, says, a child that needs his mother goes out with the mother's eruv until the time that he is six years old. You see over here is that it goes out with the mother's eruv whether or not the mother and the mother prepared it for him, or whether it is not for him, right? So this seems not to be like Rishul Benidi, who says that we're talking about a case where they both prepared it for him, and the question is, which one works better, the father or the mother? So then we say that the mother one is presumably the one that will work. But the, over here we see is that it's not about who prepared it for the child. Neither prepared it for the child, right? The mother prepared it for herself, and still it works for the child. The child is considered to just be rolled after her. Let's say that it's even a, a, um, a, 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 um, a, a disproof of Ravasi, because over here, it seems to be that a child of six is also okay, but over here it seems to be that only up until six. tell you, When it says up until six, it means up until six and including six. Maybe this disproves Rubyana and Rishlakish. To say that Rubyana um, and Rishlakish said that if a, a child is even four or five, they're already not dependent on his Arab, already not dependent on his mother, and therefore doesn't go after the mother. But over here it says that even a child of six goes out with the mother's Arab. Like gosh, that's not a question. When do we say that four or five is already considered independent before before they turn six of the mother? That's only when the father is around. If the father is not around, then up until six, there still depends on the mother. A person can make an Arab for his child who is uh, under, you know, underage boy or girl. Or through the... Um, is Eved or his maidservant who is a Kanani or is a, a non-Jewish maidservant. Whether they want this, whether they do not want this. You cannot do this on behalf of your wife, on behalf of your adult children, on behalf of your Jewish servants or maidservants unless they actually consented to this air being placed in this place. You said that a man cannot make an Arab for his son or daughter who are Gedalim, who are adults. Or Jewish, the servant or maidservant. Not for his wife, unless they actually are consent to this. However, he could make an Arab for his non-Jewish maidservant and servant. And for his son and daughter who are Gedalim. Whether they consent, whether they don't consent. Because their hand is like his hand. And if all of these, if they're they made their eruv, and they and the rebbe, they're they're not not rebbe in this context doesn't mean rebbe means their master made an eruv in the other direction. They go after the master's eruv. Except for the wife, because the wife can't protest against the husband, and therefore she goes after her own. 
Isha Maishna, why is a wife any different? You have a grown up child, they also should have the ability. You have a, a Jewish maidservant, also should have the ability. I'm a rabbi, Isha, we don't mean wife specifically, we mean Isha and anybody who is similar to an Isha. Anybody who is an adult, either, either um, your adult children or an adult servant or maid servant if they are Jewish. Amar Mar says, when we said, except for a wife, because she's able to protest. It sounds like the only reason why she, the only reason why she's excluded is because she actually protested. But if she did not say one way or the other, not then she actually would go after the husband's Eruv. But in the first part, we said, you can only do it if they actually consented initially, not that after the fact they didn't say anything. My lab, that she actually has to say yes, but if they were just quiet, then they wouldn't have been sufficient. Mara says, it's not true. My elamidaitam, when we say that it was, you can only, only works for these adults if it is with their consent and for knowledge, that they were quiet. We're just coming to say that if they say, I'm not happy, then it doesn't work. But as long as they don't say, I'm not happy, it will do the job. It says, and all of these, if they made an Erev and the Reb, their master made an Erev, then it does work. And if there, it doesn't say if they said yes or not. We said, except for the wife, who, that she does not work with that case, right? In other words, we're saying like this. Over there, the wife didn't say no, and it still doesn't work, the fact that her husband made her an Erev, right? So why are we saying that stama, if the wife doesn't say anything, it's the equivalent of saying yes. It's not true. Over there, we see it's not the equivalent. It's the obvious answer. Over there, the wife made her own Erev to a different direction. You can't say, well, therefore, she clearly is happy with what the husband did. She's clearly not happy with what the husband did because she made her own Erev the opposite direction. So the fact that she didn't say anything doesn't need to say anything in that circumstance. right? How much food do you have to put in for the Erev Tuchumen? You have to put in food for two meals for each and every individual who is going to have their Erev in that direction, right? As opposed to the Erev Chatseris and the Shidupim that we said it's two meals max altogether. But over here, it's two meals per individual. The amount of bread that you're going to be eating for a weekday meal and not for Shabbos. It's the opposite. The amount that you're going to be needing for Shabbos and not for the weekday. And both of these people are coming to say the more lenient position. Why well, clearly, one of them used to eat more bread at a weekday meal than he ate at the Shabbos meal and vice versa. Why is this so, right? So the different reasons would be depending on how many side dishes you have, right? If you have a lot of side dishes, so then maybe maybe you'd have um, maybe you'd have fewer bread bread uh, on Shabbos than you would during the week because you have more side dishes on Shabbos. But on the other hand, maybe you, you're eating more on Shabbos, so you end up eating more bread. How much of the loaf of bread is it? It's one loaf that would be purchased for a pundian at a time when four sa of of, of, um, of wheat would cost when four um when four sa of wheat would cost a sala. So that's the, the, the ratio of how much bread you're going to need. Shimon Shimon says, it is two thirds of a, a loaf of bread when you would have three of these loaves would, would be made from one kav worth of wheat. Now Half of the this loaf that we're describing is the amount of bread, is the amount of bread that would have to be um, eaten in the time that someone is staying in a house that is a Mitzayra house, right? So if you go into a Mitzayra house, a house that has Tzeras, and you stay in that house for a decent amount of time, you become Tameh. Now, how long do you have to stay in that house? The amount of time that it takes to eat a loaf of bread. How big does a loaf of bread have to be? It has to be one half 
of the size of the loaf of bread that Rabbi Yechonim Shimon suggested, one half of that is the amount of bread that one would have to eat to, when they're staying in a Matzairah house to become Tameh. And one half of that half is going to be the amount of, of um, is going to be the amount of bread that is going to render someone forbidden to eat truma before going to the mikvah to eat this bread. And what do we talk about? Uh, how much food is for two meals? I'm Rabbi Yehuda. I'm Rabbi. He says name of Rav. Harti Rifsa Chrysa. Two different uh, loaves. Not sure what a Chrysa is. Let me see. Shneisin Acharim Imaim Lusada Acharim. Okay. So basically, the 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 um, the cattle drovers, right? I think they're, I think they are called cattle drovers, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, so the people who drive the cattle, right? So they take certain types of loaves of bread. That was clearly something that was a familiar size of loaf in those days. Two of these nahar papisa loaves, whatever they were. Who does uh, who the Yosef, the son of Rava, he said to him, who does your father hold like? He says, I hold like a mayor. And not So he says, I also hold like a mayor. The Ikir of Yehuda, if I hold like a Yehuda, Kasha, the Amrienshi, Ravcha, the Basima, Shriha, Shriach. The problem is like this. And this is a famous, famous Gemara. I hold like a, I hold like a mayor. Why do I hold like a mayor? I hold like a mayor. They eat more bread on Shabbos. Why do you eat more bread on Shabbos? Right? Yehuda says, you eat less bread on Shabbos. I hold like a mayor because there's a famous statement that everybody always says that there's always room for the, for the Basima food. Right, nobody. Right, the, the, the my wife always says that there's a, a separate stomach for French fries. Right, no matter how full you are, there's always extra room for French fries. Right, so on Shabbos there's always extra room for a good food. So um, so therefore you eat more bread on Shabbos. says says when the the are basically very similar. is this true that they're very similar? Rabbi Yechanan, I'm sorry, Rabbi Yechanan says that you're going to have a calf as four meals worth of food. Rabbi Shimon Teshasudas Kava, he says one calf is already nine meals worth of food. It doesn't seem so similar at all. He says you have to take one third of the of the of the bread that you bought for a pundiyin that you give to the to the to the chenveni so that he actually gets some profit out of the deal. It's still going to be nine to six. It's still not that close. Rather like different statement that Chazal said. Amar he says Tzimehan Mechzal Chanpi. He says take out one half to the Chanpi. Like Ati Lamar Teisha Lamar Tamni. Well, that's still going to be nine to eight. Still pretty. I know the Amar who crave him the Vreim Liyashavim. That's he said that they're close. They're not the same. If they were the same, then then it would be nine and nine. But they're not the same. But they're close enough. Kasha of Chazal of Chazal. Now you have a contradiction between these two statements of Chazal. One statement he says that the shopkeeper is entitled to this amount of profit. Other statement says entitled to more profit. Like Kasha the Kayav Balabayas TV. One case is where the Balabayas also gave the wood to the person who was doing the baking. Hadley of Balabayas TV. In other cases, he did not even give the wood to the person doing the baking. We said one half of a loaf of this bread, this size, is the amount of time that it would take to eat that, is the amount of time that you would have to stay in the house to become Tame if you're in a Matsara house. And a half of that half is the amount of time that would render the person who ate it uh, ritually impure until they go to the mikvah in terms of um, uh, truma purposes. We say, when it comes to items becoming Tomei, Thomas Eichlin, right? Food items that are going to become Tomei on a rabbinic level because they touch something else that is also Tomei, right? 
how it's a small size that could become tame. It has to be one this this one half of one half, right? That's the amount. Okay. Now, how, what is that exactly? It's somewhere. It's three quarters of a kebeah, three quarters of an egg. And according to um, um, and it's going to be it's one half of, a, of an egg. Okay. But our Mishnah, what did we say? Why doesn't he talk about Tumas Eichlin? The fact that you, the, the, when does, what, how big does a food item have to be to become ritually impure? Because they're actually not exactly the same. The amount of time to make someone's body impure if they eat this ritually impure rabbinic food is not the amount is not exactly the same size as the as food item that smalls the smallest requisite measure for a food item to become ritually impure. Tanya, we learned in Raisa. How much is a half a pras? It is two eggs minus a little bit. It is two eggs that are large sized eggs. Sheer Rebbe. So Rebbe said, the, um, what is this exactly? This is two eggs and a little bit of regular eggs. How much is a little bit more? One twentieth of an egg. We say kibaya, what we mean is the egg plus its shell. And they say it means the egg without its shell. This is the opinion of that an egg and a half large size one half of that is the measure that you're going to be talking about three quarters this is obvious so what's going to teach us that the eggs have to be large sized eggs not medium sized eggs came and he said so Bainias once sent Rebbe a Maidia. What's a Maidia? The Kundis de Min Nausa. I'm guessing this is some sort of food item. Shema Ish, Medina Shema Sa'a, de Min Nausa, Makim. Some sort of food item from a specific place. Rashia Rebbe, and Rebbe said, Masa and Mesheva Esun Bain. And he said, This food item is 217 eggs. Hasa, the what kind of sa were we referring to here? Edom is baris. If it's the sa that was used in the desert when Moshe Rabbeinu was counting and measuring items that were used for the in the construction of the Mishkan, kufem that should be 144 eggs. Either Yerushalayim, and if it's the sa that was used later in Yerushalayim when they extended or expanded the definition of a sa by one fifth, and kufayin gimel it should be 173. And if it's in Tzipayir, which is one fifth greater than Yerushalayim, then it should be 207. Really, it is of the the superiors, and it's 207. Should be. But what happens like this? What we said is bring the extra, the extra halasa, the dough, and and put it on top of that, and then you come up to 217, not just 207. How much is the halasa? Tami, it's only eight. So what do you what do you have over there, right? Kati um, So then it's still less than 217. I see the I see. So rather, what you do is you have what Rebbe said is that a one twentieth of an egg, right? A twentieth of an egg is the additional part that you measure with it. So if you add that twentieth of an egg, then you end up getting to two seventy. 
Since the amount more than 217 is not another full beya, therefore we don't count it at all. It's only one, only seven, seven, uh, 720 is greater and not than, than 217. So we don't count it as 218. We don't round up there. We learned it in So you Shamas, you say Ramad Baris, which is going to do a little bit further. The, the sa that the that they talked about in Yerushalayim was greater than the sa that they talked about in the desert by Yerushalayim, but one sixth. Yerushalayim, 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 and the Yerushalayim one was greater than Yerushalayim one by a sixth. So they, they, if you make the ratios, you, you figure it out, right? So you end up with one third greater at the end of the day. Shlish the man, who's third? Ilema, if you say Shlish the Midbaris, one third greater than the, the measure in the desert, Mahti, Shlish the Midbaris, Kamahabi, one third of the desert, how much would it be? Arba in Vatamio, be 48. 144 divided by three is 48 times three, right? Bilu, Oitfa, Shisin, Utlas, right? But the, the extra of 207 to, to 144 is really 63. That's not going to work. It must be the third of the Yerushalmi measure. What's one third of the Yerushalmi measure? It's, um, it's um, 57, right? One second. So it's 58 minus one third, right? So it's 57 and two thirds. But really, the extra should be 63. What's the third of the Tzipari? It's 70 minus one, 69. But the surplus is actually 63. Rather, says, was greater than the one of Midbaris. It is similar to a third. It's not exactly a third, it's 69 and not 63. And a third of the Tsipari ends up being almost half of the Midbar, which is only 44, 144, which is 72. 69 and 72 are close enough. Okay.